Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, our topic is getting the right mortgage for you and understanding your, your options on foreclosure. Uh, I have the pleasure of having attorney Chris Canabinas. He's going to be our guest today. We're going to talk for 15 minutes, and we're going to talk about these two topics. If you'd like to join the conversation, please call in at 347-324-3460. Again, it's 347-324-3460. Or you can post your question in the chat room on the website, or you can email us at info at thecorebusinessshow.com. We'll be back in a moment. We're going to take a commercial break from our sponsor, and we'll be back in less than one minute. You're listening to The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours, and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Welcome back, everyone. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I guess to begin with, our audience really loved personal stories, how uh, business owners, uh, our speakers actually talk about themselves and how they got started in their careers. If you, can, if you can take a moment, tell us about yourself, how you got started, and how did you get in, in this particular uh, industry. Thanks, Tim. I started out out of law school as a Wall Street attorney, and I uh, worked in corporate law, and uh, had quite a bit of experience handling mortgage-backed securitization. And uh, after a few years uh, in that private practice, I decided to open up my own law firm uh, in the around 2007. And as it happens, the mortgage industry and, uh, faced a, a lot of turmoil, and the foreclosure uh, crisis started to happen. And what I realized was that uh, there was a need to help homeowners who were facing difficulty with foreclosure to restructure their loans, and they needed guidance on negotiating with the banks, et cetera. So we started with that, and uh, you know, years later, we have uh, nine offices in three different states, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, with, um, with work as well down in Florida, and we are doing handling mortgage uh, foreclosure defense and loan workouts. And uh, we've uh, been able, thank God, to help a lot of people through this uh, tough time. Great. And kind of tell us about, you know, we talk about the getting the right mortgage, you know, the FHA, the conventional, 
reverse mortgage. Can I tell us about the mortgage itself and how a person can discern what is the best mortgage for them? Right, right. Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, they're going to have to look at it uh, from just a budgeting standpoint. It's that type of mortgage, which um, obviously is going to, is going to um, give them the, the lowest terms, uh, not, not even just interest rate, but also closing costs. Um, but also, then, then they have to consider what the guidelines are going to be for their approval. And, you know, that often depends on the type of income that they make, uh, the history of making that income and uh, see whether or not they can qualify for that mortgage. But, um, it's you know, it's a personal decision, but I would think that um, looking at the different angles and uh, considering which is the going to obviously be priced the best is going to be the best uh, choice to make. Okay, so you, you just really had to compare both. If you have an FHA or if you're just a regular uh, uh, conventional, you just have to figure out which financial-wise that you can, which one you can really handle. Right, right. I think that you know the conventional loans, if you can, if you can qualify, typically um, are cheaper in that they don't have the mortgage uh, insurance uh, requirement. Uh, however, those are oftentimes um, uh, more difficult to, or have historically been more difficult to qualify for, which is why this uh, the FHA vehicle was set up. Uh, and and, uh, and and is in place and has been thriving for these last few years. With the uh, the conventional mortgage, what what usually are the problems when it comes to to conventional mortgages? Is hard for people to qualify for. Well, historically, it had been that they required a larger down payment, and what had happened is you know that connects with um, sort of the, the the government's setup of, of making the issuers of these mortgages, the issuers of these loans. Uh, to be able to buy back and hold certain of the loans that they make. So historically, if the you know certain guidelines weren't met, then the, the, the issuer of that loan had to hang on to the mortgage, which is not something that they want to do. They want to issue the mortgage and then be able to sell it off uh, to Sannie or Freddie and uh, and be able to make more loans. They're not you know they're not their, their game plan wasn't to hang on to that loan for that long. Uh, but those guidelines are beginning to ease up, and uh, with that, we hope that and they expect that lower down payments are going to be required for those types of mortgages, and thus the consumer, the end user of the of the mortgage is going to get a better deal because they won't uh, have to pay uh, that ex that additional cost of the mortgage tax, uh, rather the mortgage insurance on top insurance. of the mortgage payment. Okay, we have a question right. for you. Can you just uh, tell us what the difference between the Freddie Mac, Finney Mac, and the Gimme uh, Mac? I think that's what he's saying here. Well, there's, you know, they're they're all set up for, um, you know, essentially providing liquidity to the different issuers. So these are sort of these quasi-public entities that were set up to, again, provide liquidity to the market in the place of purchasing uh, these mortgages and removing the risk uh, from the issuers of these mortgages so they have more capital to be able to lend. And okay. um, so, you know, they just have their different guidelines, uh, you know, as to as to uh, you know which which types of mortgages they purchase. Okay, are are those agencies also guaranteeing, or, or is it really FHA is the only one that's guaranteeing the loans? FHA is the one through the mortgage insurance which is guaranteeing the loan. That's correct. Simply, okay. the the Fannie and Freddie are just vehicles to provide liquidity uh, by uh, taking those mortgages off the books. But if the homeowner uh, doesn't pay. Uh, you know the, the, those mortgages, 
uh, without the mortgage insurance, there's, there's sort of nobody. There's no there's no vehicle set up to pay those mortgages. Okay, uh, on the downside of a person defaulting the on the foreclosure end, uh, defaulting on the FHA government back loan, uh, what are the, really the consequences? Or can those, uh, you know, can they file bankruptcy and get that expunged, or so they can get another FHA? What options do they really have when it comes to really uh, with foreclosures in particular? Right. Well, once the uh, once the, uh, the you know they, they obviously they enter into foreclosure, um, they get uh, closed off for different periods of time uh, before that they can uh, reapply and, and qualify under the guidelines for uh, for those mortgages. Um, FHA seems to be the quickest vehicle out there right now. Uh, which allows for, you know, after a certain number of years on the foreclosure, for uh, someone to be able to qualify again. Um, as to the particulars of, of what that is, of how many years, I've heard it ranges between three and five years. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's up to the particular um, uh, the lender and, uh, you know, seeking the FHA approval for this person who's, you know, trying again to get a mortgage. Okay. And the options itself, if they're facing foreclosures, what options do they really have? Well, first and foremost, I mean, it really depends on what their objective is. If, you know, if they're looking, they can't afford the mortgage and they don't see sort of a, a ray of light and, and feel that, you know, this is something that they can't handle, then the option uh, would be to sort of get out of that loan would be, uh, you know, what's called a short sale of the property. Uh, another would be a deed in lieu, which usually is when you, basically when you hand back the title to the property, but that requires one to typically try their best to try to short sale before they can do that. Um, but primarily, you know, most people who fall into trouble want to try to work out a deal with their bank to see if they can uh, lower the mortgage payment down so that they can resume payments again. That would be a mortgage modification. And uh, the mortgage modification can help people lower their payments by uh, – uh, providing uh, changes to the loan terms in a number of ways. One could be the increasing the years of the loan or the amortization of the loan, which reduces the amount that's got to get paid each month. Another would be reducing the interest rate, which is the most common uh, of what they do. Uh, and third, and, and in certain cases, sometimes they will consider either deferment or forgiveness of principal uh, related to that loan. Wow. So, again, that is... Uh... They can stretch the term, they can reduce the interest rate, and the last one you say they can also will take some of the principal off? And uh, In certain cases, yes. Yes, the objective of the programs that are out there uh, for mortgage modifications in a, in a residential context uh, is uh, primarily led by what's called the Making Home Affordable program, which is the sort of Obama administration uh, program that they put forth that in, is uh, out there to, uh, to help um, – homeowners and those types of uh, programs that are out there can reduce prints, uh, interest rates uh, down to as low as 2% and oftentimes reduce the or defer the uh, principal balance as well. Okay. What type of cases? I mean, uh, do they have to go to an attorney to get this done or they really can do this themselves in trying to get the uh, the term stretched or to get down to a lower interest rate if they're paying 8 9% and uh, to get some of the principal uh, forgiving? There's no requirement uh, that uh, someone have to negotiate uh, through a lender. 
uh, excuse me, through uh, through an attorney. People can do it directly. Um, you know, there are guidelines that are set up uh, in order to qualify, and it's I would certainly recommend that one educate themselves with those guidelines, know how they fit in um, in applying, because you're going to have a better chance then of getting it done. And um, so, uh, but you know, through this program, there have literally been um, you know millions of people um, who've reworked their mortgage terms over the last six years since the program's been out. Okay. Uh, if they go to a organization or go to an uh, attorney that specializes in this, or, or do they have to pay some upfront costs, or the cost is kind of uh, paid by the the mortgage company or something? Yeah, the mortgage company doesn't pay any of the costs for third-party providers of this work. Okay. And you know, each each state has different guidelines um, of how you know how those costs work. Um, but uh, you know, licensed attorneys that are working on this type of work, you know, within the jurisdictions, um, they have, and, you know, what they can charge is governed by uh, rules uh, pertaining to the, uh, the employee, uh, the attorney-client relationship uh, within that state. Um, so there's different guidelines. And, you know, in different states, if, if for non-attorneys, we'll have, uh, you know, different guidelines as to what those third-party non-attorneys can provide uh, as far as help and what they can charge. So what it really depends to, on a case-by-case case case basis. What do they need to watch out for if it's a third? I mean, attorney, of course, you have um, some credibility there. If they're, if they're looking at an organization, what they really need to look for in an organization to make sure they're not being taken advantage of? Well, more than anything, I think that you need to have direct face-to-face -face contact with whoever's going to be helping you. I mean, I think that's the biggest problem that have happened with a lot of uh, you know, years past uh, when a lot of uh, organizations or, you know, there was a lot of uh, sort of ex-mortgage professionals that were, you know, w without mortgages to make, they were they were sort of running in uh, trying to help people with these types of uh, uh, mortgage problems and ended up that they weren't qualified to do so and it, uh, would end up, uh, you know, starting a process and not completing it. So I think that's where a lot of the bad press came but again, you know, anybody that uh, that you're going to be considering doing the work, I would certainly say go meet with them, uh, have a face-to-face, -face, and uh, ensure that they're qualified uh, to help you into with, with this type of work. When you talk about uh, the very beginning of the hour, you talked about uh, foreclosure, defense, litigation. What is that, and entails? Essentially, we represent homeowners that perhaps uh, are receiving threatening letters from their lenders who are uh, either threatening or have commenced legal action against them. Uh, obviously, that's going to involve uh, taking action in a court of law. Uh, it really depends on the state that you're in. That you're in. But, uh, you know, the, if we're talking about New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Florida, then you're really talking about what are called judicial foreclosure states. So those are states where there's going to be a um, lawsuit basically for the lender to enforce their rights of foreclosure. And, uh, and in those types of cases, certainly the only ones that can help homeowners uh, defend those cases are licensed attorneys within the, the state uh, where the uh, foreclosure action is taking place and, uh, and who have experience with that type of work. We've had a uh, number of years uh, experience defending homeowners with this, and what we can typically do is ensure that, one, that uh, the proper owner uh, of the mortgage or the proper party is bringing the foreclosure action. We'd all heard about a lot of the uh, sort of robo-signing and bad press practices that bad practices that uh, a lot of the mortgage servicers were getting involved with 
uh, at the early onset, most of which has been cleaned up. Um, but, you know, it's ensuring that the proper party is there, being ensuring also that, uh, you know, a lot of the jurisdictions provide a mechanism to try to work out a deal. In New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, those are either called foreclosure settlement conferences or foreclosure mediations. And it's ensuring that, um, that those processes are, that, that are happening and that people are putting their best foot forward in those processes uh, to try to resolve the issue without having to uh, lose their property to a foreclosure action. Okay. Uh, question here regarding uh, short sale and uh, deed and lieu. Are they both foreclosures? Well, no. They're, 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 those are both mechanisms to avoid foreclosure. A foreclosure, I mean, the foreclosure process commences once there is a uh, uh, you know legal action commenced uh, by the bank, and uh, the, the actual foreclosure, as the term is mostly used, uh, signifies when someone loses their property to a foreclosure uh, uh, auction, or when the title actually changes hands from. Uh, you know, from their name to the to the name of the bank or to a third party that buys the property. So that's uh, that's more of a uh, the, the the commonplace term uh, foreclosure. Okay. So the short sale. I know there used to be some tax uh, implications if they short sell and the bank will go and send them a 1099 and uh, they're subject to pay taxes on the difference. Is that still the case? Yes, it's a very important uh, point that you raised. It's actually not a function of whether or not the bank delivers and serves a 1099 on the homeowner. Whenever there's a cancellation of debt, the IR of any sort, that could be a credit card that you, you know somebody settles, or whenever there's any kind of cancellation of debt, the IRS views that uh, that uh, that cancellation as income. And now, whether or not it'll be taxable income depends on you know, a, a number of different things, certain loans, certain mortgages that are canceled. Uh, if it's a particular, uh, like, you know, your, your personal residence and it falls within a certain number of years and a certain number of circumstances, that uh, just by IRS publication, uh, you know, tax can be avoided on that. Um, in other cases, if you can prove that your net worth um, is uh, at zero or negative, uh, that can also uh, help you to avoid the, the tax complications. It's very important that anybody who's completed a short sale, who has any kind of cancellation of debt, uh, really speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about and understands um, the issue. And I would recommend certainly a CPA or other tax professional to, to help you guide through this because the consequences of not properly dealing with the reporting of that cancellation of debt could, could be disastrous. Okay, I mean I can, can see that, and the deed of lieu is is pretty much the same. I mean, if you give me the deed, that's correct. That's correct. Most of the deeds and lieus, you know, what you're speaking is 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 something by the lender to agree not to pursue you for the difference that's owed, and therefore you're 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 receiving a cancellation of debt. And any time that there's a cancellation of debt, uh, that you're receiving uh, that a um, considered a taxable event that has to be properly dealt with uh, in your tax return. Last two questions when it comes to bankruptcy. How bankruptcy actually plays a part of this? When the uh, the uh, person who took the mortgage out decides, I'm just going to walk away from it, it, does that tax issue actually play a part of this when that happens? Well, 
yeah, what happens is that your 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 cancellation of debt is taxable, okay, to mm-hmm. the to the um, to your solvency. So if you file bankruptcy, right, mm-hmm. and you extinguish the debt, you've therefore automatically um, have proven, you know, your insolvency. So therefore, it wouldn't, uh, it, it it would not, um, it would it would wipe away that tax consequence. But there is a very important timing issue that's involved. Okay, and there's issues that are involved where, you know, if if you before you complete the cancellation of debt, it's not yet. There's yet. There's no tax due. So in other words, if you complete the bankruptcy before you complete your short sale, okay, then it's almost certain that you will not have the cancellation of debt issue um, to worry about. But if you complete the short sale before you file a bankruptcy, then, in fact, you could be um, facing an issue because income taxes are not generally dischargeable in a bankruptcy. So once it becomes a taxable event, you can't just go and file bankruptcy and automatically assume that you're not going to have the problem of owing the tax on that. It might already be too late. Okay. Um, so even if, if they – okay, so when they actually uh, had a bankruptcy case and they say, okay, we want to give this house back to the bank and they're already insolvent, so in, the, in that case, it's really wiped out. If if they if they've completed it before the completed the short so before they've received the cancellation of debt yes okay That's okay but again every look every case is different and when you're talking about taxes or bankruptcy consequences it's you know it's essential that the the debtor go speak face to face with an attorney or tax professional because all circumstances are different. So I'm giving general okay. information here, not any legal advice. No, that's fine. And I have a last question. They said after a bankruptcy and they go into a modification, um, it, does that play a part? Which is really in, interesting because if they actually discharge from the bankruptcy and they gave the house back. Then they go into a modification. They can't really be held liable for the debt. So I know it's a little technical, but I guess this person knows a lot about bankruptcies. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, again, that look, a lot, a lot of people had filed bankruptcy. And, again, I mean, the term is what's important to know is that when somebody files bankruptcy, and I mean, you're using it as, as sort of the, the common understanding, that, oh, somebody's giving back the house. That's not mm-hmm. really how it works. You know, in, 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 in most bankruptcy jurisdictions, you know, the only way to actually give back the house, that would mean to sort of hand over the title to the property. And most bankruptcy courts and bankruptcy court judges will not allow a debtor to do that through a bankruptcy. They'll allow you to get a discharge of the debt so that they technically no longer owe the money for the property, but the mm-hmm. title remains in their name. But the title remains in their name. So thereafter, if they go and then complete a more the documentation that comes that they'll receive will specifically state that um, the mortgage, not you know, the majority of the time, that that the that the uh, the mortgage uh, that what they're signing on for right now still doesn't obligate them to have to pay this, but that basically if they do pay this mortgage modification, that they won't suffer the consequences of of losing their property to a foreclosure action. All right. Now there's certain lenders that require. And, uh, and this is typically I've seen this with FHA mortgages. If somebody has completed a bankruptcy 
of their FHA mortgage and then tries to seek a modification. I've seen certain lenders require that the borrower go back to the bankruptcy court and ask the judge for the ability to reaffirm that Affirm. debt. And, um, yeah, reaffirm that debt, which basically, uh, you know, is, is something that's uh, it's a very big deal. And most, most bankruptcy judges uh, won't allow that to happen because they want to be able to protect the discharge that the person's received. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and uh, all in all, uh, to a walk away, what advice should you actually like to, to leave our audience with? Again, I think what people really need to talk about in the event that you do want to actually walk away, there's two things that you really need to keep in mind about whether you're really walking away. One is your obligation financially under the note. And, you know, that can be, again, wiped away via bankruptcy um, and, um, you know, or, or via you completing a short sale or deed in lieu. Uh, but also what's important to note is that for those who really want to walk away from a property, it's essential that you make sure that you get the title out of your name. I think there's a lot of people that are out there that completed bankruptcy and uh, thought that that was enough to remove all their liability with respect to that property. But what's happened, in fact, is that I've seen certain cases where somebody's completed a bankruptcy of a property, but the title remained in their name, and then lo and behold, maybe uh, sometime after they received the bankruptcy discharge, uh, somebody would uh, hurt themselves at the property, and uh, there would be a lawsuit uh, against the owner of that property who is still on title, and that person is still subject to the liability of, uh, of, of that because it's after their bankruptcy, and um, the title is still in their name, so technically they're still the owner, and therefore they still remain with the liability that uh, that came up as a result of that personal injury case. Wow, that's that's some really good advice. And is it really easy for a person to take that out of their name, and even when they get the property back? You almost had to do a no. short sale. No, unfortunately it's not. Again, that's right. And it's, it's not easy to get out of the name because, you know, one would think that, all right, you know, the, the bank, the, 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 the servicer will just take the property back. But a big problem that we're seeing is that they're, they're actually not taking these properties back. Oftentimes, right, they don't want to disturb, it appears that they don't want to disturb uh, the marketplace uh, by adding another foreclosure to the, uh, to the, the market. And therefore, these properties are um, just remaining sort of in limbo. And uh, so, you know, yes, again, you know, I would say suggest that you seek through to complete either that short sale or deed in lieu. And, uh, again, that the bankruptcy alone uh, doesn't absolve you uh, of, uh, of liability that might still linger from being the owner of that property. Okay, so deed in lieu would actually uh, will protect them to get the property out of their name. Correct. Right. Thank, uh, how can people reach you if they actually have any questions or uh, about your services? Sure. They can reach us at 1-800-523-4762. That would be in the New York, New Jersey, uh, and Connecticut areas. That phone number will work. Uh, in the tri-state area, we have a local phone number for that. Also, you can reach us at uh, Law, which is C-A-B as in boy, A-N-I-L-L-A-S-L-A-W.com. Great. Thank you for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. Have a good one. Again, this is uh, Tim Jacquet. You listen to The Core Business Show. Everybody, uh, thank you for listening, and have a great day. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. 
For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to the core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.